you, Jesus. Okay, let me just pray. Father, I am asking this morning that everything you've shown me over this last 48 hours, that I would impart it in a way that helps us to get it. Father, I thank you for the, the way you showed me it, Lord, and I'm praying that the, just what I saw, Lord, I'd be able to impart. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, I always need your help, but today I really, really need your help, Holy Spirit, for me to express what I saw and for it to sit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you want a title, you can call it Who's and Whom. Who's and Whom, that's the thread that we're going to run through this morning. Um, so that's the thread that's going to run through this morning and uh, in particular the consequences of that but we're also going to talk about audiences and we're going to talk about birthrights and inheritance and then we're going to come back and kind of put it all together um, but I want to start where I ended off last Sunday morning uh, Isaiah 54 enlarge the place of your tent stretch your tent curtains wide do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. And this is a word for Israel originally, because they're in this place, and they're exiled, and God's going to take them back, and he's going to do wonderful things, and it's a promise to them that they're going to be bigger. And I found myself writing about this verse in the context of my life, and how I was seeing my life as I was journaling about 10 days ago, 8 days ago, I think. Because I've realized I am more deeply assured than ever about my purpose. And this is what I wrote in my journal on the 6th of January. I want to be reaching forth, stretching forth to strengthen my stakes and lengthen my cords even more. I am not built to simply maintain. I am not built to keep things neat and tidy. You did not create me to keep everything cozy and make sure everything is okay. You built me to stretch and lengthen and grow and expand your people. You created me to build solid foundations and create new life where there was none. Yeah, no. Well, he agrees as well. And if you think about a tent, then what I've come to see even more clearly is that I was not put on the earth to maintain tents. I was not put on the earth to clean them. I was not put on the earth to replace a rusty one with a nice new one. I was not put on the earth to replace a cord with a cord that's exactly the same. I'm on the earth to enlarge every tent I come across to stretch it, lengthen it, and enlarge it. Oh, I use another analogy. I'm not a decorator. If you get a damp patch on a wall, the decorator might say, put a bit of damp paint on it. But I say, no, rip the plaster off, rip the paint off, get back to the brick, find the proper solution, and let's make a mess. Because I think I'm a bit more of a builder than I am a decorator. Of course... If you've got a damp patch on your wall, ripping the paint and the plaster off and getting back to the grip brick costs you much more in terms of time and money now, but it will actually sort out the issue properly and save you in the long run. And what I see more and more is there is a deep tendency in our culture, and it's infiltrating the church, to put some damp paint on the walls and hope that will work. My grace for that has gone. It's just gone. I can't cope with it anymore. I'm sorry. But I can't cope with it because it don't work. Because next winter you just have to put more damp paint on and the problem's still there. And 
And in the long run, it just costs you more. And for me, I'm becoming more sure about who I am, my identity, and my purpose. In addition to knowing who I am, I've also gone deeper in knowing whose I am, who I belong to, and where my real allegiance lies, where my real genesis is. I was in London a little while ago seeing Robert and Cynthia, and I went down earlier uh, just to have a little bit of time before I met them. I ended up in the British Library, actually. Do you know you can just be in the British Library and work for free? You have to get a little card, and you can sit in the British Library. There's no books in the British Library, by the way, none on display. They're all in this big warehouse. It's a bit strange. So I'm sat in the map room with the British Library, actually working on the, the word I, I gave at Christmas. And then I got the tube to go see Paul and Robert and Cynthia, and it was about 11 stops from where I was to where I was going. And I'd been listening to some music, and these days I have a very short playlist. So these days the music I listen to, I only listen to about seven or eight songs, and I listen to them for about four or five months. Because... I choose songs that I want to become, and I just let it flow over me all the time. One of them's called, I Belong to Jesus. It says, everything the Father paid for, everything that Jesus won, belongs to me. And when you've listened to it for about five months, and that's all you listen to, eventually you start to actually believe that it's true. But there's an instrumental version on one of these songs, and this instrumental version came on as I'm on the a packed tube, it was. And I'd been pondering for a little while what it meant to be with him before the foundation of the world. We've talked about it a lot. And I sat there on this packed tube with this music on going, Lord, what does it mean to be with you before the foundation of the world? And then he took me. I can't describe it to you because I, I don't know what I saw. I just know that he took me to a time when I was with him before the foundation of the world. And I actually saw it. And I, I can't describe it other than it was something to do with galaxies. But something happened in my heart. And in that moment, on a packed tube, hundreds of meters underground, I realized, no, I really was with him before the foundation of the world. And it like settled in my heart. Beautiful. And I'm sharing this with you as part of my journey. So if you ask me about how I've grown, there's questions we asked last week. These are some of the things how I've grown. Some of the things, the clothes that I can't wear anymore because I've grown out of them. And I'm sharing you as part of my journey because I find it fascinating, the implications of deeper and deeper knowing who you are and whose you are. Because there are some major implications. Because the deeper you know who you are and whose you are, the less and less you realize you can choose for yourself. Now, of course, we always have a choice. And every choice has a consequence, which we seem to forget at times, but every choice does have a consequence. What I mean is the more you know who you are and whose you are, the more you understand that you belong to Jesus, and the more you grasp your purpose on the earth, it becomes increasingly difficult to do anything other than live out that purpose. It just is. So we could say it like this. Your ability to choose is directly linked to your knowledge of who you are and whose you are. Your ability to choose is directly linked to your knowledge of who you are and whose you are. And, and one of the easiest ways to see this in terms of temptation. So, so years ago, there were some things I used to do that were unhealthy and helpful for me that I no longer do. I don't do them because they're not even attractive, attractive to me anymore. I'm like, that's a stupid thing to do. Why would I do that? But years ago, they were really attractive to me. But now I know whose I am and who I am. So I'm like, no, this man doesn't do that because I know whose I am and whom I am. So that's not even attractive anymore. So although I could choose to do it, really... I, well, it's not really, it's not an option on the table of choice anymore because I know whose I am and who I am. 
Of course, I can choose anything, but God's not taken away my ability to choose. But the change in my understanding of who I am and whose I am means I don't really have a choice because it's like, well, that would just be silly. And I'm not going to be silly because I know whose I am and who I am. But it also works in the positive as well. It works in terms of what I don't do, but also terms in works of what I do do. So if you go back to the analogy of a, a decorator or a builder, then I'm the one who tells you to strip the paint, the plaster, get back to the brick, all that. So now if I look at it, like the thought of putting damp paint on doesn't really come into my head anymore. Because that's a stupid thing to do for the long term. So now I don't even think, is it a choice? Yeah, but not really, because it doesn't come into my list of choices. There's only one thing to do. Sort the flipping, propping problem out and sort it out now as quick as you can. Just recently, I, I was with somebody, and this is the consequence. I was with somebody, and they were sharing with me just how tough it was for them in all sorts of ways, and I was listening as they shared how stressful and difficult life was for them right now, and it was difficult and stressful. They were not kind of, you know, it really was difficult and stressful for them. And part of me just, of course, wants to listen, empathize, let them know it'll all be okay, but at the same time, as they're talking, I start seeing plaster coming off and bricks coming out. I start seeing and hearing in my spirit some things for them. Not things that would help immediately. In fact, nothing that would really ease the present difficulty quickly. I didn't hear anything I would have actually liked to have heard. Instead, what I see and hear in my spirit is about the future in the next 12 months and what needs to happen so that more peace can flow and they can be ready and in place for what needs to take place in the coming months. That's what I'm seeing and hearing. Nothing that's going to relieve anything that's going on right now. At least in the short term. So what I did in that moment is I brought more things to think about, more things to process, and more hard work on top of a life that was already stressful and difficult. How do you think I felt in that moment? How would you feel in that moment? Do you think I enjoyed adding more things to think about to an already stressed life? Do you think I enjoyed not giving a quick solution to the difficulties just being shared with me? Do you think you have some sadistic bent that really enjoys putting difficult things in front of people? Thank you, three people. No, I'm not sadistic, so that's wonderful. <laughs> you were a little bit quiet there, Fair, but never mind. <laughs> she knows I have a competitive streak, but not sadistic. Of course not. There's nothing enjoyable about that at all. It's rubbish because part of me just wants to, much of me actually just wants to relieve the current stress and difficulty. Of course, some of that may well have happened simply by actively listening, and hopefully it did, and letting them know I was with them and for them and not judging them. Hopefully that was true. Now, of course, what often comes back is, well, why don't you just keep your mouth shut? And of course, there is some wisdom in sharing the right things at the right time. There's wisdom in that. There's also the press of the spirit that you come to recognize more and more when you know who you are and whose you are. And so the question is not really about whether you share it or not. The question goes much deeper than that. The question is, do I choose to operate in my identity and purpose or not? That's what goes on. That's the question of the heart of it. It's not about, do I say it or don't I say it? It's about, am I faithful to who God called me to be or am I not? Well, that's not a choice for me. That's just not a choice. Of course, it's a choice I could make. It's not that I'm unable to do it, but if I choose to operate outside of my identity and purpose, then what does that say? 
Because to operate outside of my identity and purpose would be denying who I am, and it would mean denying who God made me to be. Well, that's not a choice. I mean, I've spent decades becoming the person I am. I've worked really hard at becoming me. I've, I've faced up to all sorts of things and been vulnerable and open and transparent and all that stuff. It's cost a great price to be me. Why would I then choose not to be that person? That would be daft. Would it not? You see, the main reason is because it would be deeply dishonoring and frankly disobedient to the one to whom I belong. And I will not dishonor the one who made me me. And I will not be disobedient to the one who created me as I am. You see, for me to be anything other than who he created me to be is to dishonor the one who made me. And of course, it's all about Jesus. I don't want to dishonor him. But let's go back to this. Your ability to choose is directly linked to your knowledge of who you are and whose you are. So, if you can easily choose whether to share Jesus with people or not, it tells you something about the depth of your knowledge of who you are and whose you are. You see, for Nigel this morning, he knows who he is and whose he is, particularly in regard to sharing with Jesus. So when somebody asks him, it's not a choice as to whether he, he could have just gone, oh yeah, it's terrible, isn't it, and walked off. But that's not a choice he's going to make because he knows whose he is and who he is. So when he gets a moment, he's going, right, I'm there. Of course, I've got a moment. It's not really a choice for me. It's who I am. If you're going to give me a moment to tell you about Jesus, I'm going to tell you about Jesus because it's who he is. Is it a choice? Well, it is a choice, but it's not really a choice. If you can choose easily not to tithe, it tells you something about the depth of your knowledge of who you are and whose you are. I couldn't imagine not giving God at least 10% of everything that flows towards me. It's like, it's not an option for me. It's like the first thing, I don't even think about it now. Because, wow, I know what he's done. And I know who he is. And I know what he's like. And his word tells me that 10% of it belongs to him. Well, I'm not going to steal from him then, am I? But if I can even make that choice, that tells me something about whose I am and who I am. If it's really easy to turn up or not turn up on a Sunday morning, it tells us something about the depth of our knowledge of who we are and whose you are. You see, your ability to choose is directly linked to your knowledge of who you are and whose you are. And the more you know who you are and whose you are, the less you really get to choose. Because it just flows automatically. And to not choose it would be to dishonor who you are and who he made you. Okay, enough talk about choice. I want to talk about audience. We're going to touch on this for a minute. Then we're going to talk about birthright. And then we're going to wrap these things together. If you read through the Gospels, I also, I'm just going to desanitize Jesus for you a little bit, okay? Because some of you have sanitized Jesus. And he needs desanitizing. So let me desanitize him for you. And I'm going to give you all the scriptures so you can read them for yourselves if you want. So you see that Jesus addressed different people in different ways, okay? This is what he said to the Pharisees. Matthew 3 and verse 7. You brood of vipers. Matthew 23, 13. Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Luke eleven thirty nine. You Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. The words of Jesus straight from the Bible. Your Bible. Your Jesus. So that's the Pharisees. Then I think he talked in different ways to the disciples. These are some of the things he said to the disciples. Matthew 16, 11. How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? 
Matthew 16, 23, but Jesus didn't swerve. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Luke 24, 12. Why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Direct quotes from Jesus, from the Bible, to his disciples. Stop sanitizing Jesus. He is not meek and mild all the time. Except to people who don't yet know him. Because he has different words to different audiences. To people who don't know him, would you like to see sight? Yes, please. Go and be well. Yep, you better walk. Your sins are forgiven. But you forget that you were disciples. Please don't sanitize Jesus and pretend he's all nice and cuddly. Because although he is nice and cuddly, he's also fiery and passionate and direct and desperate to get us into our futures as quickly as possible. Okay, next story. And then you're going to see how they all tie together. Genesis 25, 29 to 34. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That was why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau. I said, what good's birthright to you? He wasn't about to die. He was just hungry, by the way. He was just peckish because he'd had a day in work. All right? He's massive over egging what's going on. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So birthright refers to the right of the son born first in a family to inherit his father's possessions and authority. So in ancient Israel, where this story said, all the sons received some of their father's property, but the firstborn received a double portion and became the leader of the family. So what Esau does is give up a third of his inheritance for a bowl of stew and the right to lead the family and take it forward. It's a big deal. There is so much that could have been his, so much that he could have enjoyed, but he couldn't see past the day, he couldn't see past what was in front of his face, and he was willing to exchange something wonderful for something very less wonderful. Now, I want you to imagine that somebody very close to you is in line for something very wonderful. Think of somebody that's very close to you. They're in line for something very wonderful. It might be the holiday of their lifetime, the mortgage paid off, the physical or mental health restored, perhaps the children sleeping for 10 hours a night continually. <laughs> there was a woo from the crash. <laughs> but something that would make a considerable positive difference to their lives. Or think about it from a different angle. Imagine you could stop something very painful happening to someone very close to you. Maybe you could warn them they're about to lose lots of money or lose their health or, or, or something with huge negative consequences. Here's my question. How far would you go for those you love to make sure they don't miss out? How far would you go for those you love to make sure they don't miss out? Now, I want to collect these three points back up and reflect on two weeks ago when Paul was sharing. It shed some light on why it was shared like it was shared and why some of you, in fact, probably many of you felt like you did. First of all, let's talk about who's and whom and choice. Paul is an apostle and prophet of God. That's different from being prophetic or apostolic. We can all be apostolic and prophetic, but Paul has the gift of an apostle and a prophet. That's who he is. And he's more aware than anyone I know of whose he is and what he's put on the earth to do. 
So the first thing to be aware of is that unless you are an apostle and a prophet, and as far as I know, there's none others in the room. Uh, there may be some watching online. If Derek's watching, who knows? There might be others. But very few people know, because they're not apostles or prophets, what it's like to see and hear in the way apostles and prophets hear. So you can't put yourself in his place because you don't know what it's like to be him, and you don't know what it's like to be an apostle or prophet, and you don't know what it's like to carry your word. So that's the first thing. Then you have to ask a question, does Paul have a choice in the delivery of the word? No. Because he knows whose he is and who he is. Of course, he could choose. But there's no way he is going to be disobedient to what God shows him. It's not really an option. He would have to be disobedient to who God has called him and what God showed him, and he won't do that. So let me go, remember my example of sharing with somebody. Remember I told you about sharing with somebody and... You know, it was difficult, and I gave him these things to think about. Okay. Do you think Paul enjoys sharing those things? Do you think he looks forward to it? Do you think he gets a buzz out of it? Do you think he enjoys having to deal with all the fallout? What do you think it's like knowing there may well be some fallout, but you don't have a choice whether to deliver it or not because of who you are and who you are? Have you thought about that? Or did you just get wrapped up in yourself? Why do it then? Why does he put himself through it? Well, we'll answer that at the end. Well, he hasn't told me why he puts himself through it, but I think I know. See, the fascinating thing to me is that my own response to that evening was one of excitement. I came away buzzing and excited because of all I heard, but then again, I know who I am, and I know whose I am. So perhaps your response tells you something about who you are and whose you are. The second point is about audience. This house is a house of discipleship, so we are speaking to disciples, not those who don't know him. We're speaking to disciples. Read how Jesus spoke to his disciples. So when we think about you, we're assuming, because it's a house of discipleship, that people who are here have chosen to follow the path of Jesus and want to be transformed into his image. That's what we're doing all the time. But that's only one part of the audience, because that's the audience you can see. There's another audience Paul is speaking to when he delivers words like that. Because it's not only been delivered into the seen realm, it's also been delivered into an unseen realm. There's a whole realm. Well, whatever you think of it, it exists. And if you don't think it exists, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means you don't think it exists. But it exists. There's a whole other realm. And words like that are not only aimed at the seen realm, they're also dispatched into the unseen realm. And of course, that unseen realm has good and bad bits in it. And we might sometime in the year talk about this, but, but for now, just know, yeah. And when somebody who knows who they are and whose they are, things that don't belong to that who get terrified. They get terrified. And so guess what? There was a lot of anxiety in the room. There was a lot of fear in the room. Not necessarily from physical people. There was a lot of fear and anxiety in the room. Because somebody with some authority, because he knows who he is and whom he is, just spoke some truth into the, into the atmosphere. So you have to ask yourself, okay, where did that come from? Well, it might not come from you. It might, you might have picked up from outside you. Or it might have been inside you, I don't know. 
I'm just saying, you are not the only audience for that word. And perhaps some of it wasn't delivered in the way it was delivered for those with bodies, at least physical ones. Now, I didn't feel any fear or anxiety about anything, Paul said. But again, I know who I am and who I am. Let me say that again. I felt no fear or anxiety, but I know who I am and who I am. So that tells you something, if you're willing to see. It tells you something. In fact, if you were to read my notes, you would see that I didn't write much down. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I had. Because it's just a year. This will be the most momentous year that we've ever seen. Oh, come on. He is very interested in hearing what I am seeing and sensing. I think I need to share more with him about what I see and sense because he's waiting to listen. Knowing his head, hands under our head in the crib. All the word did for Jesus was confirm who he already was, just like me. The greatest threat to darkness is you discovering who you were created to be. Twenty twenty three is the second advent of Christ. No idea what that means, but it sounds good to me. I don't think he, he knows what it means yet, but and this one that a new divine energy fields waiting to burst into life on the inside of me. I want to tell you they are already bursting in me. They're already bursting. And I can hardly contain myself. Listen, for the last three years, Paul has been sharing prophetically about what is happening in the unseen realm and seeing very clearly where we are heading. He's seen it for three years. Since 2020, he's been sharing what he's been seeing. It's all on our YouTube channel if you want to watch it. You'll be there for a long time, but it's all there. He's done his best to share all that he has seen as he's been shown it because he understands it's very possible for us to lose our birthright for a bowl of stew if we are not careful. He has been obedient to share what has been given and been obedient to who he is called to be. That may feel tough for you to listen to and process, especially if you're not sure who you are and whose you are, but it's also tough to have to deliver it. But the passion and zeal that he shared with on New Year's Day is how passionate he is about us and the wider church being in a place to thrive this year. New Year's Day is how far Paul will go to make sure those he loves don't miss out. Would you go that far, even for yourself? Would you be that passionate about you? Or those you love? What you saw and heard was an apostle and prophet, prophet of God being true to his calling, giving everything he had to make sure we don't exchange our birthright for a bowl of stew, to make sure as many people as possible would not miss out on the safety and security of the crib. I mean, can you imagine what it's like to have spent the last three years trying to help people see, trying to help people get into a place so they can thrive and not just survive, but then seeing that even after three years of giving everything, there are still people who don't seem to see. Can you imagine being in that place? The truth is there are many things that will take place this year that will come to light locally, nationally, and internationally, and you will look at, and your response will be something along the lines of, I can't believe it, I can't look at it, it's too much, and it may well be deeply shocking. And what has happened on New Year's Day was it was a consummation of the last three years, I believe, of Paul doing everything he could to try and make sure everyone was as awake as possible so they could navigate the coming days in the best possible way. You see, if someone you loved was sleeping in a house that was on fire, and you had tried gently waking them, and then you tried tried to gently sake them, eventually, because you were worried for their safety and their security, would you not go to ever more extreme lengths to wake them up? 
Not because you were mad at them or upset at them, but because you actually loved them. That's the only true lens through which you can view that message. Any other lens is a lie. Any other lens is a lie. You know, it was two years ago we started talking about rest and laying our head on a pillow. 2021. We've had two years. We've spent two years talking about the need to learn to rest and be at peace. And in the last few weeks, we've talked of laying our head in the crib, which is a different way of saying exactly the same thing. But everything about that message, as far as I could tell, was designed to get your attention and cause you to ask some questions. Because more than anything, it's vital that we learn to look at reality from the safety of the crib, knowing whom we are and whose we are. Because the only place to be safe, the only way to thrive in these times is to view it from the crib, knowing his hands under our head. Now what's fascinating is that for some people, two weeks ago was a pivotal moment for them in their journey and something ignited in them that had previously not been ignited. I know, because of Tom. And it was really vital that happened, not just for them, but for those around them. You see, the stories all through the Bible of prophets telling what would come and urging people to get ready. Within those stories, God always provides a safe place for people who are willing to listen and follow God's lead. Those stories nearly always also contain a narrative where people don't listen and they don't get to enjoy the safe place God has set aside. There is a war going on in the unseen realm, which is also being played out in the seen realm. It's a war about power and control and manipulation and choice and freedom. Now, you can argue how that plays out all you like, but that's the reality. There is a war going on. And war is a serious thing. And it seems to me that since 2020, the intensity of the war has increased and will keep increasing. So in the intens if the intensity of the battle is increasing, that means that if you fight with the same intensity as before, you'll lose. Doesn't it? For two years now, we have taught week after week of the need to fight from the place of rest from laying your head on the pillow. You see, Paul Fay and I are deeply passionate about helping you do that because we love you deeply and long to see you thrive and prosper no matter what the future holds. I want to finish where I started. I am not built to maintain. I was not put on the earth to keep things cozy. I was created to bring heaven to earth. I was created to use the old rubble of past lives to build the new, to rebuild foundations from out of the past. I was created to restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Paul Fay and I were created to bring the kingdom on the face of the earth. And at times, what we say and how we say it might upset you, but you have to understand these three things. This, this by the way, doesn't mean we always get it right. But I'm sharing the heart of it. We know three things. We know more than we've ever known. And I'm talking about the three of us, Paul Faye and I. We know more than we've ever known who we are and whose we are. And when you know it to the depth we know it, it's impossible to act in any other way, even if we would want to, which at times we'd quite like to. That's the consequence of knowing who you are and whom you are. Number two, our audience in this house is disciples who we understand to want to be like Jesus, so we won't be pulling any punches in telling it like it is. We love this house deeply. And we love every person in it. And if there's a risk, you might sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. Then we will go a great lengths to not let that happen. But please don't get upset with us for going to great lengths to make sure you don't lose your birthright for a bowl of stew.
that would not be good for you.